0: Hello,
1: Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Cannaday. I am your host, Jenny Carlson. And we're back in the saddle again for season four. Can you believe we are here, Jenny? We made it. We, we- made it, and I can I really can't
0: believe it. Actually, I can, because we've watched it five times now. Mm. Actually, more than five times, because we began looking at select episodes today. Mm-hmm. So, we live in this world now. It's our only existence, at least until we have to go back to the office.
1: I'm doing Miyagi-Do on my media center remote. I'm just doing chapter forward, chapter back, chapter forward, chapter back. Wow. Mm. I didn't know that was the digital, yes, the digital exactly. version. digital version sweep the scroll wheel. Look, it's the air streaming. What can you do?
0: We partied so hard with season four. We're here to recap it for you. But I just have to tell you that all-nighter that many of us pulled to watch it when it dropped mm. gave me laryngitis, Uh-oh. which is why this is late, and you can hear it in my voice.
1: Wow. Well, so I apologize. Just a quick refresher in case you didn't see the episode title in your feed, but this is our traditional Season React episode, so if you're just joining us, the rules are as thus. If you have not completed the season, if you are worried <laughs> about spoilers in any way, shape, or form, now is your time to back out. We won't be offended. In fact, we probably think it would be best for you because some stuff happens in season four, and you're definitely going to want to watch it fresh if you possibly can.
0: Yeah, in previous seasons, we've done a little spoiler-free summation at the beginning of this reaction episode, but... I mean, there's just so much that calls other stuff back that I guess my simple spoiler-free review is, holy shit, this is badass and very complicated. So you might want to go watch all of Cobra Kai and then come back.
1: Yes, much like many of the characters in Cobra Kai, we're now in way too deep. To just turn around and pretend things are the same, right? We're living in the (laughs) Twilight Zone. (laughs) This is your chance, if this is your first time listening, definitely go all the way back to the beginning of your feed. And maybe start with Karate Kid 1 or the first episode of Cobra Kai. But definitely skip this one. If our next episode, Cobra Kai 401, Let's Begin has come out, just skip forward to that one. That's right. Again, we won't be offended. Then come back to this one when the season ends, and we can talk over the season as a whole. We just like to put this episode out because we have a lot of thoughts, they're fresh on our minds, and we just kind of want to get them all down in one big chunk.
0: So just to give a little signposting as we begin, we're going to give our general impressions and uh, then kind of get into finer points of like, characters' themes, fave fights, fave Easter eggs, etc., predictions
1: for the next season. We'll parcel out our thoughts on each individual episode in the days and weeks to come. So, without further ado, shall we begin? Yes, let's do it. Let's begin with Cobra Kai season four, React. React.
0: So this is it, right? We've finally seen the worst that anyone in the Miyagi-verse could possibly imagine, which is that Terry Silver's Cobra Kai actually wins the All-Valley Tournament, and because of the dumb bet that Daniel and Johnny made with Kreese, they now can no longer be Sensei's.
1: This is true. Or can they? Well,
0: will they honor the agreement? But but like, this is, I guess, the closest we're going to get in Cobra Kai to The Empire Strikes Back?
1: Yeah, this is the Empire Strikes Back middle point where it's like all the characters have escaped unscathed, but they've suffered a loss in another sense.
0: Yeah! High drama, extreme action, over the top. When we first saw it, though, it shows how the show has progressed because, and we can talk more about this, it shows how the show has progressed because this major cataclysm occurs and yet we've learned now that unlike the old Avildsen format, just because a character is righteous and learns a new skill it doesn't mean that they're gonna defeat the bad guy yet. It's gonna take longer, it's gonna take a lot more than that simple formula.
1: This resets the board in a lot of important ways.
0: And it does it in a way that, like, the, the losses at the tournament or the gains, depending on your perspective, are not all that determine success in the Miyagi-verse, because now, also, character development and forging connections between characters is as important as any one character winning out. And that's extreme momentum to take us into season five, and maybe beyond. I guess that's just the initial reaction now that we've
1: lifted the spoiler veil. So, let's put a pin in that for a moment. We'll do our impressions of the season, and then we'll start breaking things down character by character. How does that sound? That sounds fab. Let- we've now had a chance to sit with it, digest it. The whole thing as a entity. And I do think that this season, probably more than others, feels complete. And it feels like a giant moving machine more than other seasons. What do you think? Well, I mean, we were talking about this and it was four in the morning in Texas. And you kept looking at me and saying, it's Mm. really good this year. The thing that this specific season draws to mind to me is a story from when I was in college and uh, the new Beastie Boys album came out. And I won't date myself by saying which Beastie Boys album, but if it was a Beastie Boys album, I can take a guess. But the the point is my friends and I really love the Beastie Boys. I ran back to the computer lab where I was in the middle of class to go out and get this album and then rush back. And I popped it in the CD player in the computer and I listened to it while I was doing computer lab stuff. And wow, this is amazing. And then later I went to my friend and was, is it that we're just predisposed to liking it because we're Beastie Boys or was this really good? And he was, no, this is really good. And so that's kind of how I feel about this season of Cobra Kai. I'm already predisposed to liking it because it's Karate Kid and they've done a really good job of giving us both fan service and also recalling heart and soul of the original Karate Kid movies. But on top of that, on another level, this season is also really good specifically.
0: Yeah, my read on Cobra Kai, obviously I have a podcast about it that is committed to recapping and analyzing the show it's so next level in this season and i know that i sound like a hype woman but it's true there's just so much going on in this season Mm -hmm. and it's all very very good and what's the most mind-boggling thing about it is that it does all the things supposedly you're not supposed to do right it has fan service it's just basically an easter egg all the way down it does all of these these magic tricks that most blockbuster storytelling formats don't do. Or, well, maybe they do.
1: I I don't think it's a case of you shouldn't do fan service, call it Easter eggs, call it references or callbacks, but I don't think it's necessarily that you're not supposed to do it or that you're supposed to do it a certain way. I think it's just a case of picking and choosing your moments. And I think this season definitely highlights that Cobra Kai is really good at picking and choosing its moments. The showrunners are very good at comedy. They have a crackerjack team of writers and directors. Yeah, I mean, let me let me just put it this way. We know that they can do comedy. We know that they can do drama. And then this season does a really good job of picking out which moments to hit which beats and in what order. And it really unfolds in a satisfying way.
0: I'm sure that once we've hit you know, viewing number 20, there will be a structural analysis that makes it clear what's going on, but I felt like the the structure of this season was quite different from previous mm-hmm. seasons in which, you know, around episode five, you're going to have a Miyagi-Do-centric episode, then around epi- episode six, it's going to be Cobra Kai-oriented, and this season mashed those up. And brought Eagle Fang and Miyagi-Do onto the same side for much of the season so that we could explore what they had in common, what they could do together, what still drove them apart. All of that shuffled the elements in a way that I'm still figuring out. I was overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. Colin and I met when we were doing improv. And one of the formats that we learned when we were doing improv, because we did Chicago style, is uh, the Herald which uh, was invented by Del Close. It's a format. And you have like an A, B, A scene, a B scene, and a C scene. And you do two rounds of those, maybe three, mm-hmm. but then you mix them up. The last third of the show is what we would <laughs> say like balls to the wall. All the A's, B's, and C scene pairings would just start getting scrambled and it would alter the physics of the show and take everything to the next level if you did it right. And these guys and gals are doing that and they're doing it right.
1: When you take all those elements and you put them down on paper, right? It's called writing. And I think that this Indeed. this season in specific is just good writing. My background is I went to film school and took screenwriting classes. I've read all the, the standards, the Robert McKee stuff, and it just boils down to a few fundamentals, which this series and this season particularly showcase, which is there's no waste. Every element that gets, that's that been introduced gets used in some way. Like, every character has a purpose. Every scene, every set piece, every plot device is going to get used, even if it's not apparent at first. Episode 2 introduces Kenny, whereas if you've been watching for three years and seeing this new character out of nowhere, you're like, what is this? Where is this going? And then as the episode unfolds, we see how Kenny folds into the narrative, and we see how his storyline evolves over the season and it's really quite remarkable what they choose to do i think this season in particular feels like the difference between watching a movie in 2d versus watching it in 3d or seeing a movie in color or in black and white there's just it feels like this season there's new layers and new dimensions to everything my big <laughs> note on this season was, everyone is a character now. And what I mean by that is, there are certain characters that they had introduced in Seasons 1, 2, and even 3, yep. that were just kind of one-note jokes, like... The biggest example being Anthony, who famously is the younger Larusa sibling, and he was in two episodes of season two, I'm pretty sure. One at the beginning to say, hi, I'm going to computer camp, and then in the final episode of that season to be, hi, I'm back from computer camp. And he's (laughs) in, I think, only one of season three. Right. Exactly. But suddenly, Anthony's all over this season, in a big way, they kind of take that idea And they build a plot line out of it where it's Anthony is feeling ignored because he's been backgrounded, literally because he's been backgrounded in the show. Yep. And now he's kind of acting out and the whole plot line develops around that. This season does a really good job of taking the things that that I was critical of it for in previous years and suddenly making them interesting and useful. Again, another one note character, Stingray. Some people were big Stingray detractors. I was not on team Stingray. Paul Walterhauser, great performer stingray is just a one note one joke character that so was you very thought- distracting but then in season four they come up with an ideal use for him as kind of a patsy and a fall guy and a, a character ultimately to actually pity and feel a little sympathy for at the at the very end who knows how this plotline will evolve into season five. I think that is another magic trick that this show does out of many, which is like taking these characters who were previously one note, one joke characters and building something better out of those building blocks. And I think that's amazing.
0: Not every character who was beloved gets a big scene in terms of the the folks like Vas Sanchez and the Minimart or, Lynn the Unhoused, right? Played by Susan Gallagher. Not everyone gets a speaking role, or if they get a speaking role, it's brief. Even in those instances, these longtime fan favorites are given scenes where they're appearing and you just feel like they're part of the world. They don't have mm-hmm. to do much. To make you feel like they're part of the world. They're no longer just there for yucking it up. They're there to live in the Miyagi-verse,
1: which is really cool. Not Her to th- say that there aren't still jokes in this se- season or that there aren't fun characters or funny of, characters. Yes. There's still a ton go- of that going on.
0: Well, the difference, But is, it's just
1: the way they utilize these characters is different. Yeah,
0: that's right. So in many cases, characters have arcs and complicated arcs and experiences that we didn't see before from them. In others, characters are allowed to kind of exist in a way that makes it more real. And so other characters, I think the relationship between Amanda and Tori, at first I was like, oh, what's going on? Is this some sort of weird game of 3d chess they're playing to make me feel things and in a way it was but it worked i mean it made perfect sense and the actors grounded it and once again underscores it that the miyagi verse is real to those who live in it they have real reactions they need help they have vulnerability and they have to make unlikely alliances
1: i feel like that's what you want in a drama but especially in a comedy and i think that's what a lot of comedies forget is that Unless the world feels grounded, unless you feel like there are stakes for whatever bullshit John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are up to this week, (laughs) unless there's some stakes and some real-world consequences to their antics, it doesn't feel as as dangerous it doesn't feel as fun when they do something crazy and off the wall and and this show does a great job of balancing right you got it, it, found gr- it, ba- it found it <laughs> found its balance it has found Counter its balance. balance entertainment has balanced it well it, exactly they lived it look it doesn't it does what it says on the tin right f- and so yeah it's, it creates a world where there are real steaks a delicious and, canned ham so it just occurred to me what if he's just a guy who enjoys ham yes It creates a world where there's real stakes and real consequences, and then shakes the hornet's nest. Yeah, that's exactly where you want to be.
0: We've known for a while that the show makes its bones from grounding the most fantastic, strange, unbelievable elements from all of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. and we knew that Karate Kid Part Three was coming. A lot of Daniel's behavior is grounded in his inability to learn and grow in Karate Kid Three, mm-hmm. right? Which, as Ralph Macchio recently repeated in the media, has been a major frustration for him this whole time, that the LaRusso character didn't get any further along. So, we knew it was coming, but I think what is so interesting about the show is that it has the characters react. To their long absence, in a way, Terry Silver comes in and says, basically, why did you awaken the snake to Crease?" And both he and Creese have had moments over the show where they talk about, I was in a bad place, but I had to come back. And it feels a little bit like, on one hand, this show is Breaking Bad, right? Mm-hmm. At this level, with Vince Gilligan or any other showrunner. That I could think of whose work I admire. I don't remember the name of the guy who made Money Heist, but I would put Cobra Kai and Money Alex Heist. Alex Yes, thank you. I would put those on the same level. It's also high art, right? Sopranos, whatever, who cares? Or The Wire. Sure, might mm-hmm. be a controversial opinion. I stand by it. On the other hand, it's very much like I'm watching ABC's Once Upon a Time. Like, these characters come out of the fantasy world, get grounded in the real world, and the plot is driven by their dealing with the trauma of real life, which is something that we can all relate to, really. hmm The humor derives from the fact that they're relatable, even as they're having to come to terms with these absolutely bizarre situations.
1: Exactly. So... So, should we get into some specifics? What would you like to talk about, Colin? Well, we could start at the top which is johnny and daniel the alpha and omega the the or karate kids the the origin from which all of this bullshit descended from a certain point of view indeed and i think like you said daniel has some very interesting turns this season as he learns That there is more to life than Miyagi-do. I think late in the season he has the revelation that he was so concerned about honoring Mr. Miyagi's legacy, and again, his impulse wasn't wrong, but he was so concerned about honoring Mr. Miyagi and I think this is also kind of a meta-commentary on the show, right, which is he was so concerned with honoring Mr. Miyagi and what he stood for and what The original Karate Kid movie stood for that he didn't want to mess it up and so he only taught Miyagi-Do and only by combining styles with Johnny was he able to produce some kids who could actually beat (laughs) Cobra Kai's. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean so so one of the suggestions Colin had when we were talking about how we would approach this episode was talk about it in terms of the different cast generations. Yes. As it were so you've got Daniel and Johnny you've got (laughs) Big spoiler alert, Terry Silver is back, and he and John Kreese are together. Yes. And then you have the young cast, and the even younger cast. But in terms of the main plot drivers, their deal is, number one, learning that they don't just have to work together, but they have to accept each other and learn from each other. It's going to take them all season. Number two, they need to learn how to relate to one another with their children present. Right? They're both like divorced parents competing over the uh, affections and attention of the students. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, it's a delightful season because they build deeper relationships with a lot of different students, and they mix them up. But on the other, they're still fixated on their OG students. So, Johnny's worried that Daniel's getting too close to Miguel. Daniel is worried that Johnny's going to corrupt Sam, who he treats kind of like a prize show animal in episode one, where he's like, LaRusso 2.0. Both of them are not just being greedy with their kids out of anxiety and fear of change, I think. But they're also putting a lot on their children in ways that is unfair. And they are replicating the sin of John Creese in the original Karate Kid because they are expecting an all-or-nothing solution to their war for the soul of the valley to come out of the performance of their children in a karate tournament. It's abusive, it's unfair, and it's wrong. While they're in a pissing match with, with each other that's very entertaining, in reality, what's that, what that's pointing us to is that they are putting these unfair expectations on their kids. But at the same time, they are delighted in each other's company, even as they're angry at each other. And some of the most wonderful moments of this season come from them fighting and also working together in ways that we've always hoped for, only Lego Cobra Kai, perhaps, Mm -hmm. could have imagined at the level that we're seeing. But it's really something special. And while at first my reaction to where things landed for them was, oh, come on, showrunners and team. Like, y'all are dialing it back. We all just joined together and and sang kumbaya at the end of... Well, we technically sang in the air tonight at the end of season three, but it makes sense that they would have these problems. It makes sense that they would get dogmatic. It makes sense that that Daniel, being Daniel, wouldn't want to trust Johnny, who literally did name his dojo after a poster, or so it seems, and he only did it a few weeks ago. In, in, in Cobra Kai time, all of this makes sense. They haven't been waiting like we have for a whole year for the new season. They haven't had all the time we've had to get used to this new alliance. Mm-hmm. So, that I thought made a lot of sense.
1: Well, I, I think you bring up a great point, and that is kind of the meta narrative of Johnny and Daniel's journey and how it relates to the meta narrative of Cobra Kai itself, because I think. One of the main things that drew me to this show and one of the things that I think is most tantalizing about it is this idea that it bumps up against one of the problems of our time, which is how do you reason with an unreasonable opponent? In earlier interviews, the showrunners said that they spent a lot of time thinking about these questions and that they do have an answer. How do you learn to stand your ground, quote-unquote, while also learning to, quote, coexist, quote-unquote, right? Yeah. And I think the show is now hewing closer and closer to that answer, and that is, again, all with our main character for this show, which is Johnny and Eagle Fang, right? Yep. Where Johnny has now taken the teachings of Cobra Kai and is starting to inject his own mortal sensibilities into them. Now, I think the reductive viewpoint is to say that, oh, Johnny, and I think Daniel actually makes this point early in the season, which is Johnny's just taking Cobra Kai and just put a new wrapper around it and called it Eagle Fang, right? And I don't think that that's entirely true, because no. if you think back to the way Johnny was presented in Karate Kid 1, and that, particularly that last scene where, like, he was the bully, the bully, the bully, right up until the end where we kind of realized that it was all Crease and Cobra Kai's influence that was kind of like driving him to cheat.
0: And he was afraid of Kreese.
1: And he was afraid of Crease and he was, and he legitimately was worried about Daniel at the end of the movie. Cobra Kai, the series, kind of extrapolates Johnny's entire character all his dna out of that moment yep and we know that johnny for all his flaws he does have an ethical core yeah like he johnny doesn't want to cheat nope johnny wants to be badass he wants to wear his leather jackets and ride his motorcycles and he wants to do the shitting he he wants to fly like an eagle but at the same time he's not gonna cheat to do it and that is Eagle Fang. That is the midpoint between Miyagi-Do over here and Cobra Kai over here. Yep. And this is where the show has decided that they will meet. And it's going to be very interesting, I think, in season five and beyond. Because I think that's also the last piece before Daniel can truly embrace friendship with Johnny. Is that Daniel has always been colored by this abuse that Johnny gave him. And that Daniel always considers johnny a bully just because johnny beat him up and was merciless to him like daniel has a very hard time seeing past that and i think once daniel realizes that johnny again for all his flaws does have a solid ethical core at at his heart that he's a good guy at heart that will be the final piece in the puzzle that may be at the that may be the moment the show ends but i think that'll definitely be a piece of the end game here
0: I think this is the turning point of the show, in a way. I think the end of season three was a turning point of the show, because we saw that Terry Silver was coming back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that the end of this is another major turning point. The difference now is that they have both kind of seen the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. They might not be able to stay there, they might get knocked off it, but they've both like seen the view. For Johnny, the view was that he really, over the course of the season, had to learn to be honest. He was so busy trying to preserve his dominance in his relationship with Miguel that he couldn't see Miguel anymore. Mm-hmm. And he had, like, all the earmarks of being in a family, but he kind of shut himself off from receiving what that that information that brought.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he and Miguel understand each other more than any two characters on the show, but because Johnny was so in his head, he lost sight of that. And... Johnny has already made great strides in his relationship with Robbie. (laughs) Some people listening might be like, what do you mean? But he's accepted that he did this to Robbie. He's still motivated by shame and he hasn't found constructive tools, but he's no longer in denial about that the situation with Robbie is very, very bad and he he can't be blustery and try to fix it like he was in season three, Mm -hmm. right? He knows that if he can't be consistent with Robbie, he shouldn't promise something he can't do. So, it's not great, but it's far better than it was. But by the end of the season, though Johnny has lost a lot, right? As we're going to talk about, Miguel didn't compete in the tournament, but none of Johnny's students won at the All-Valley in the, in the
1: final matchups. Um, and in fact, they lost their bet with Cobra Kai, so technically, Daniel and Johnny can no longer be practicing senseis by that agreement.
0: Yeah. But, as Daniel said, you can't honor an agreement with men who
1: have none. Yes, which again is comes out of the bar scene in Karate Kid too. Yep, because I did know it all along.
0: Indeed, you did. Daniel and Johnny have lost big, right? For Johnny, it's that he's lost. Well, he thinks at the end of the finale, he's you know lost both his sons, as it were, as Miguel has left, alienated from Johnny and the situation, to try to find his biological father. Mm-hmm. And Robbie, though he lost, is still. Spoiler alert: Robbie loses. <laughs> Robbie is still with Cobra Kai, but then Johnny learns at the end when Robbie comes to him to talk to him that Robbie doesn't want to be in this situation anymore, right? So, Johnny has apologized to Daniel and make the peace in a way that is constructive and helpful. It doesn't save them the tournament because it's too little too late, but for the larger story it's a major transition. Daniel's arc actually is more satisfying to me here with Daniel. It's so gratifying to see this guy, who would not stop nervously talking through three films and had a heart of gold but kept tripping over his own feet and tripping himself up, Mm. like, to see him finally stop spinning about Mr. Miyagi's kindness to him and focus on what matters, which is that he's the grown-up now, Sam deserves to be her own kind of person, Anthony deserves attention. He's got to find the way that works. He's got to relate to Sam. He's got to let Sam do her own karate. Yeah. He's got he's to see outside himself so much that he encourages his students to synthesize their principles. And he's not a perfectionist with
1: his students. Synthesize your principles,
0: everyone. That's
1: right. I'm sure that Zach Robinson and Leo Bierenberg can help with that. That's right. Well, I mean, you bring up a great point about Daniel and just like hours before season four dropped i went back and listened to our karate kid three episode because i wanted to get refreshed but i didn't want to have to pop in the whole movie just who
0: better to refresh yeah. you
1: than yourself well in this case <laughs> it it actually worked out to our advantage because I, I listened to a clip that we dropped in that episode so go back and listen to that one it's a real banger but the clip was don't miss the mike barnes theme and don't miss the mike barnes theme
2: representing the cobra kai the challenger mike
1: You,
0: you can dream about me.
2: Karate's bad boy. Mike Barnes.
1: We can dream about him. The clip that we clipped in that episode was Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, and they were planting the bonsai tree, and... Bonsai tree. Miyagi was talking about Daniel, you know, says, you have a strong root, just like the bonsai tree, your karate comes from inside. And Mr. Miyagi says, it may have come from me, but you're going to find your own way. And then that comes back at the very end of season four. and does. And again, this is a great uh, loophole in the two rules of Miyagi-Do. Daniel's so concerned With following Mr. Miyagi's teaching and adhering to the ethical principles of Miyagi-Do, Miyagi is also the one who has ultimately given Daniel permission to move forward and find something new, something that can build on Miyagi-Do, but also be... It's own thing.
0: When that scene happens in the finale of season four, at that
1: point, Miguel has been injured and then decided not to compete and left Johnny. Now, in a weird way, Miguel has synthesized Miyagi-Do even better than any, uh, anyone. He just bounced on the whole fight. <laughs> exactly. He's like,
0: don't show up. <laughs> yeah. So, Miguel has left Johnny. Hawk has beaten Robbie mm-hmm. and become one of the champions. Now it's time for the Women's All-Valley Championship fight. Daniel comes hat in hand to Johnny and apologizes, which is something that he only did before because he wanted to be cool like Apollo in Rocky Three, right? Sam and Miguel conspire to both give Johnny and Daniel were into the idea of forgiving each other earlier in the season and it didn't take, but at the end, they're doing it for themselves and they're doing it for their kids. Daniel's no longer acting like he knows what's best for these kids. He's saying, these kids are still growing and together we can help them. It was obvious that that was coming, and a shot from that scene was in the preview, so it didn't get me as much as I thought it would, except for the strong root flashback to Mr. Miyagi saying that. When Daniel synthesized that new wisdom in telling Sam, I want you to do what you want to do, you pointed out that during all those scenes, during the moment that Johnny apologizes back to Daniel, his theme from Ace
1: Degenerate shifts from a minor key to a major one. Because that's his big hero moment, so they gave him his theme in the major key, because that's what heroes get. And
0: Billy Zabka underplayed that in exactly the right way, Mm -hmm. because he knows that at this point, Johnny's journey is everything and he's got to show that weight. Sam loses the fight and then we get to see Daniel being crushed and getting a a frog in his throat, you know, Johnny patting Sam on the back and saying it was a good effort. Um, It was just gutting. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see that happen to Daniel because of everything that came before. Of course, Daniel's last lesson is not just acknowledging that sometimes you have to strike first, but deciding how he's going to strike next which is by bringing in Chosen. So it's not Mm. just that you kind of like rendezvous with your old rival to kind of have closure or whatever. It's no, you keep the conversation going.
1: Mm -hmm. The Chosen reveal was pretty amazing. And I guess since he is technically one of the legacy characters, we can uh continue talking about him for a minute. It is going to be fun to see him next season to be a recurring character in the same way that Terry is. Like he he's the anti-Terry basically is what they've done. Like, yep. like Terry has now risen to prominence and the only way to to beat a bad guy is to get a better guy. <laughs> like chosen is the perfect reform bad guy to come in and really shake things up. I know a lot of people are thinking, ooh, Chosen. How's Johnny going to deal with Chosen being there? The obvious answer is that, like, Johnny will fight Chosen, so fans will get that big Chosen Johnny fight, that fan service fight that they wanted so much. I think the funner answer is that Johnny being the quintessential 80s bully and seeing everything through that lens. So J- Johnny seeing Chosen, I'm sure there'll be like a little friction at first, but then Chosen's gonna do something and Johnny's gonna be, like, well, you know what? Maybe this guy's all right. <laughs> you, you could learn something from him, Larue. So.
0: I want to say before that, that the minute it ended, we were like, oh, my God, Chosen's here. Chosen's going to fight Terry. Chosen's going to fight Johnny. And in my head, oh, so this is what John Hurwitz, Josh Hield, and Hayden Schlossberg have been doing since college. They just get in a room, smoke some pot, and talk about who they want to see uh, fight
1: each other. (laughs) That's what the fans talk about, too. And that's the other point that I was going to make about this season is just the fan service this year has just been off the charts. I think they've found uh, ways and little excuses to give us things that fans have been requesting for a while. I mentioned Stingray coming back because he's a big feature in Season 2, absent in Season 3, and they kind of hand wave it away. But then they bring him back in Season 4, and they even give Stingray his little weird hero moments before then turning him into a key driver of the plot right another big thing that people got this year that they've probably been waiting to see for a while is we relitigate the daniel v johnny final fight like i think there's a a, a segment of the fan base that's yeah but what if daniel and johnny got like a real fight that was completely like even ground because as presented in karate kid johnny was a was a huge kid who was like a <laughs> black belt in karate and Daniel had only learned karate over the summer and come in and, and beat this guy. And it's, well, what if it was like a really, really fair fight? And we got that fight this year, but it came to a, a hilarious conclusion because the answer isn't what anybody expected, which is just a complete draw. (laughs) That's a funnier answer in the meta sense of the show's narrative, because if we ever really learned who would win in a completely even fight between Daniel and Johnny, that would just break the universe.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. To drive the plot forward, they always have to be equally matched, I think, in terms of their prowess as fighters, because they have to learn from the fact that someone matches them. Right. But, like, at the same time, a lot of pop criticism tends to think that you can't have fan service and a compelling, responsible story. Mm -hmm. And this show breaks that critique and says, actually, you can. I don't know if they're responding to all of these podcasts, but they have addressed so
1: many questions that we had. They certainly addressed a lot of stuff we speculated on. I think another big fan service moment that we got in the very first episode was we finally got confirmation of the long-standing fan theory that Terry was on cocaine through most of Karate Kid 3. And they basically took something that was subtext in a family movie from the 80s and made it text, which was an amazing turn for for the show and for the story. And I think we both just jumped up from the couch and yelled and high-fived at that moment because I know we made our fair share of cocaine jokes about Terry over the last couple years.
0: I mean, they definitely are open to learning from their world. They're taking in everything and using it all. Like
1: you said at the top of our episode. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Carmen and Amanda for a minute, because I think... Oh my gosh, yes. Those uh, two characters, while technically they are new creations for the show, they're also in the strata of and they're, they're the actual adults in the room. Yeah, well, Amanda especially. And here's the point I would like to make about Amanda that I love. And we've made a lot of hay over the last couple of years about reality effect amanda like she's the character in the marvel movie who's well isn't this crazy what's happening haha it's a fun i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of lampshade
0: i'm your cat Dennis. yeah
1: exactly i'm gonna lampshade that we're doing karate moves and jumping over buildings and all this stuff and and it's and it's been great because it does make for fun scenes and fun interactions but I think what they did this year particularly interesting was they took Amanda's reality effect and they switched it from being like a passive thing that she does but they switch it to being something that she uses proactively like we've been begging for Tori to get some therapy for two years now and Amanda is the one who tells Tori get some therapy right well, and the other thing that's great about the
0: Amanda relating to Tori is that, first of all, we learn more about Amanda, right? That Amanda had trouble herself when she was younger. Yeah, and, and we get
1: new dimensionality out of Amanda because of it.
0: But but then to the therapy point, that's interesting, too, because therapy gets mentioned like three times in this season. Mm-hmm. Once it's about Terry talking about how he got therapy when he's resisting the call from Kreese Yeah, to come back and be evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been like Daniel telling Johnny he needed it, which is true, yeah. but, but the third deal is when Amanda tells Tori she wants Tori to see someone because she recognizes that Tori needs support and it also helps Tori not just check her emotions, because we see her kind of processing better, yeah. but we also hear her say that the therapist helped her find someone to help with her mom. The show took topics that it had previously kind of… Danced around. Da- well, danced around or made the butt of a joke. Right? So, like, the kind of dare to keep kids off drugs attitude of Counselor Blatt. Right. Turned faux concern that is often seen as a punchline. But in reality, there's substance to some of that stuff. And in that conversation between Amanda and Tori, we get to see people taking steps to help themselves. Right. And to help each other in ways that are accountable to more than just themselves or a karate fight.
1: To your point, that's just kind of one example of how Amanda's reality effect has now switched from being defensive to being offensive, (laughs) right? which, to put it in other terms, uh, and I think that's really amazing. What do you think of Carmen this year?
0: Okay, so, Carmen, I was delighted to see Carmen take the plunge with Johnny, not just hook up, but, like, Mm -hmm. have a sustained relationship. It is wonderful to see Carmen allow herself to love and kind of trust someone to help her with Miguel, Mm -hmm. and even though Johnny screws up, he's always gonna be there, and she gets that. Yes. Um, And Vanessa Rubio, just, she's so great, Mm -hmm. and then, and her relationship with Johnny, her relationship with her mom, Rosa, like, it's just, they do that really well. I think that there's gonna be a point, and it hasn't come yet. When Carmen says, I'm gonna use whatever my superpowers are to take my place in this fight against the big bad. With Amanda, first it came with slap and crease and, and understandably being pissed off and getting the restraining order, mm-hmm. but then it came with helping Tori, right? And wanting this to stop, wanting to break the cycle of violence. So, mm-hmm. Amanda used all her tools. And is helping try to mitigate that in some way. I hope we will see Carmen come into her own. I think we need to. And I think, based upon a lot of things that we're going to talk about during our recaps this season, the show has ample space for her to do that. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I think I it's mean, coming.
1: I did think Carmen had a little more to do last year, but again, I, I think the things that they gave her to do this year were still critical to what was going on. Like you said, it was good to see her. In a, in a good place and not just worrying about Miguel all the time. Yep. Uh, even though she does do a fair share amount of that. It is a little heartbreaking at the end where it's they kind of find themselves in the cycle. Like, it, it does do that soap opera thing of just, just when you think things might be turning around. Oh, no, here comes a new set of circumstances rolling over the hill, which is nice. Let's very quickly talk about the other two generational members of the cast which is crease and terry silver terry who got teased (laughs) all of last year i think a significant portion of the fan base wanted this guy back i think you and i were a little trepidatious about it because
0: you not we weren't the only ones the cast was also trepidatious
1: right well I think <laughs> I think there was a lot of concern about it because as Terry was presented in Karate Kid 3 no offense to Tom and C and Griffith but it was I, great it was clearly having the most fun on that set so no shade there but Terry as presented in Karate Kid 3 was a cartoon like just straight up like he was a cartoon villain on a cartoon mission with a cartoon thing and they very smartly immediately lampshade that like in the first episode when they reintroduced Terry this Terry has had 30 years to kind of percolate he's gotten off the coke he's been into therapy and the terry we see is a lot more he's tofu eating terry yeah he's tofu terry but look (laughs) you can you can eat a lot of tofu and still do some pretty mean karate moves and we do definitely see that not only on tiktok and instagram but in the show itself i was super concerned because they have to do something more with this character. How are they going to reshape it? And the answers they found were really satisfying and really compelling because Terry comes in, he doesn't just hook up with John Crease again right away just because the fans demanded it. But something about John Kreese compelled him to rejoin. Once Terry was back, that's when things really started to develop in a very interesting way because as Terry became part of the narrative, it kind of changed the fabric of Cobra Kai itself. Not just in a physical way where Terry being a billionaire brought in like awesome you know designer gear for the cobra kai's to wear and awesome gym equipment for the dojo and all this stuff but he also was actually weirdly competent as a sensei he is very compelling on the dojo mat and i think that is probably one of the scariest things of all especially since it kind of lures everybody into thinking that he's not the real threat and everybody's Concentrating on Crease right up until the last episode, when Terry then pulls the rug out up from under Crease and he's, like, You know what? I like this Cobra Kai thing we've made together. I think I'll just take it. Bye bye. Well,
0: Terry's mad because Crease came into his world, poked the bear, and then Crease didn't live up to the code that he and Terry created according to Terry. Yeah. Right? So Crease didn't follow through with his own messaging, and by this time, because Creese's because weakness is Johnny, which is the thing we called out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Johnny and Terry is both mad at Creese for uh, disrupting his life and for putting someone else at equal rank or above Terry's position in John Creese's life.
1: Mm-hmm. So the punishment will be getting rid of Creese. That's true. And th- yeah. And the other way that Terry kind of rebuilds the fabric or recontextualizes the ethos of Cobra Kai is kind of what we learn through the flashbacks to vietnam one of the reasons Kreese is the way he is is because he went through some shit in vietnam and killed his commanding officer and again the moment crease chooses to show any sort of uh vulnerability that's when terry swoops in and and gets and strikes him and strikes right but then we get one more flashback this year which is terry and John Kreese talking about why they formed Cobra Kai in the first place, and Terry has a very interesting point, whereas Kreese's attitudes toward Cobra Kai is the whole be killer, be killed, strike first, strike hard, no mercy thing. He does no mercy because if you show mercy, you could get killed, so therefore you always be the survivor, right? Terry's thing is that he was the one that Kreese saved because Terry was terrified the entire time right and terry says something very interesting this season which is the reason they formed cobra kai was to take the things that make made them afraid and turn them into a weapon so whereas crease is about using aggression terry is about using cobra kai to take the things that he's afraid of and weaponize them, which is an amazing idea. It's a self-aware idea. Exactly. And it does a lot to inform this character and, again, adds a whole new layer of dimensionality to it that makes a hell of a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's what we saw Terry do Mm -hmm. in the Karate Kid Part 3, and he now scales it up here. You were so entertained by the Terry and Kreese- interactions in a way that I didn't allow myself to because I was so scared of Terry. Mm. It was really intriguing how they did it. My everyday brain knew that it wasn't possible that Terry would really be the urbane tofu-eating guy that we saw at the beginning of the show when he's playing the piano. The piano is the dead giveaway that he's a villain. Of course, the red dressing gown. But there were those scenes in the first half of the season and in the middle of the season where it's, well, Damn. Maybe Terry is, I don't know, because Mm -hmm. it was entertaining to watch him increase. Yeah, And then he wormed his way in with Cobra Kai. It became more and more apparent that he was incrementally creepier and creepier until he was Chaos Terry wailing on Johnny in the abandoned old dojo.
1: The way they parcel it out over those 10 episodes, it's so subtle that by the end of episode 8, this guy's terrible again. And then he's fully formed Terrible Terry in 9 and 10, which is pretty great.
0: I think that the real magic trick in terms of those characters is that I felt a twinge for John Creese as he was led away to jail. Oh, that was nuts. I made this point in a Twitter conversation. Being able to empathize with a villain is not the same as sympathizing with him. And with Creese, the problem is we don't get justice if Creese is locked up for a crime he didn't commit. It's revealed that Terry made with Stingray as he was beating him to a pulp because is probably either scared shitless or so deranged that he wants into to Cobra Kai. Anyway. Or both. Both. Why? Por que no los dos? With Kreese, his weakness is Johnny Lawrence. It becomes apparent over the season. We kind of guessed it before, but now it's really clear. It doesn't mean that he should be a voting member of... Miyagi verse Karate High Council or whatever. It doesn't mean that he should be
1: powerful. Oh shit, Terry is going to be on the Karate High Council. You next literally year, I, isn't he? you
0: guys I Oh wait,
1: no practicing Like when you thank said God. that my eyeballs froze out. Like my whole body got scared. It's pretty chilling and I just realized Ugh. that That probably wouldn't even stop Terry from being on the Karate High Council. He would probably do the thing that all rich people do, which is rewrite the rules so that he can be on the Karate High Council. As
0: my buddy Gladys used to say, fat pocketbook takes care of everything. Mm. Kreese, I was pleased to see him. I, I was excited that I could feel something for Kreese beyond dread and anger. Also, I like the bad folks who mean well. Loose alliance between Creese, Amanda, and Tori. That's
1: I really I mean, if fun. you could call that alliance. I no, think not an alliance, but like channel of communication. Crease, Tori, and Amanda do form like this weird triangle being drawn here where Tori is at the pivot where both Creese and Amanda have, Her- re- have reasons for helping and wanting to... Help, Tori.
0: With Amanda, it's not just that she's selfishly wanting Sam to be okay; it's that she genuinely cares.
1: It well, takes her a second. The deal is that both Creese and Amanda see things in Tori that reflect their own life. The Amanda kind of gets in through the side door on that. For Amanda, it's a whole arc this season because the first time Amanda sees Tori, Amanda's just straight up threatening Tori: "Stay away from my daughter." Mm-hmm. Then she gets information from an encounter with Kreese that Kreese is like, stay the hell away from Tori, right? Yep. Uh, Because Tori has it hard enough, and then that leads to Amanda being like, really? Hard enough? And then that leads to a second beat where Amanda makes kind of a clumsy attempt to help Tori by providing her some groceries, and then Tori shows up to confront Amanda. Yep. Right? And then that finally enters a third beat where... Tori shows up at Amanda's door because she needs Amanda's help. This is the whole idea of breaking a cycle of abuse or a cycle of antagonism and trying to extend an olive branch. A lot of olive branches get extended this season and they come from some surprising places. They do. We see these similarities. And again, not,
0: not spoiling for John Kreese to win the entire shebang. But I do think that I want to see him reckoned with in ways that are just and that speak to the magnitude of his crimes Mm -hmm. and his humanity and not because Terry Silver got one over on him and that's karma, which it also kind of is. I mean, it was also enjoyable to see him get locked up. That's why Martin Cove had to come back from Dancing with
1: the Stars. I'm sure by the end of Cobra Kai, they'll have built some Miyagi verse version of Arkham Asylum, and they'll just lock, <laughs> they'll just lock Crease and Terry and Mike Barnes and the rest of them away until they need them for the next reboot or reimagining. <laughs>
0: like Hawk, I thought you were a Marvel guy.
1: Yes, well, I mean, look, anybody can draw an analogy. It's uh, true, as Dimitri is often fond of doing. Speaking
0: of Dimitri and Hawk. It's time to talk about the younger cast.
1: Let's talk about the young cast. Let's
0: let's start with Tori, because we already talked about her. And she is one of the champions of the All-Valley, at least on paper she is. It's hard to say whether she is really the champion, because Terry Silver fixed that match.
1: Yeah, this is some pretty interesting stuff here. Tori as a character has been pedal-to-the-metal antagonist for... Two solid seasons now. Tori always presents a conflict for me, because I really l- like Peyton List as an actress. I find her very compelling, but I find all of Tori's character decisions very frustrating. Well, you're a, you're a one,
0: maybe two-note villain, Tori, and we need you
1: to be more. I mean, look, there... there and now she is. Look, there's there is something that I like about a femme fatale. There's no doubt about that, but we do need, we eventually, you can't have dessert all the time. You're going to need something more at some point. I think it's very interesting, the journey she goes on. She learns to reach out. She learns not to bang the antagonist drum every single interaction she has with people. And eventually she gets to a point to where she even elicits a little bit of, a little bit of concern for Sam after she kicks her to the mat at the end of that big tournament fight, but then Tori finds out that she only won that match because the match was crooked. It was rigged by Terry in Cobra Kai's favor, so there was no way Cobra Kai wasn't going to win the All-Valley. And it's very interesting that they chose Tori to get this reveal, because in a very tragic way, it reinforces and confirms every negative attitude Tori has had in the last three years now. I think that Tori does have a code, she has a moral compass,
0: and it it points far truer than the other people who've been antagonists in this show. And when they started sort of foreshadowing that Tori had true dimensionality, we already know that Tori's got it rough, da-da-da, but the show finally showed us that Tori is likely to make a choice that is to help people. She may not make it tomorrow. It may take all of season five, but I have faith in Tori now. Or if she chooses unwisely, then I will feel deeply for her fall. But that was really something else. And it's really interesting that while I wanted Sam to win, Mary Mauser did a great job of showing us Sam as a person whose hard work was evident. And I think that Tori's progress as a character and their progress in making Tori a character um, made it easier to take Sam's loss, although I was still pretty gutted because Sam had come a long way herself. She still hasn't resolved the hate in her heart that she feels for Tori. She's still putting passion before principle in a way, but her karate is sound, and she might have won that match. Like, she's clear enough about who she is as a fighter, and that was her great challenge was to finally make herself heard. So that was hard to see her lose because Daniel and Johnny had unfairly put the fate of the Valley on her shoulders.
1: That they did. It's very interesting that we're at this point in the conversation because having gone back and rewatched it a couple times, knowing that Terry bribed the refs and rigged the entire All-Valley tournament, If you now go back and rewatch the tournament, you can now see all the little points where every time the ref made a call, like they peppered it in very slowly at first, and then in the final fight it kept happening, so much so that at one point they have lines like Johnny was like, a warning, that should have been a point deduction. You had the clues the whole time, Mr. Policeman, and the tournament probably would have gone to Miyagi-Do, and so much so that if this gets out next season, it throws the... Results of everything that happened in that tournament into question.
0: Shall we move on to talking about the other All-Valley champion whose match seems to have been legit? Yes. And that would be Eli Moskowitz, a.k.a. Hawk.
1: Yes. One part of the Binary Brothers. Hawk also has a journey this year. I thought he had a journey last year, and he does it again this year. Well, the journey continues, right? Hawk had a great year last year by doing a heel-to-face turn right at the end of last year.
0: At the beginning of Season 4, Hawk really doesn't know where he belongs because he knows he's alienated a lot to a lot of people, which Daniel calls out, making him feel worse. Johnny's having the kids- He's
1: dojo agnostic.
0: Hawk, he doesn't know where he fits. He knows people are mad at him, but he's also curious and he wants to have constructive input in the dojos, right? He designs the Okinawan sparring deck. He, he makes all these strides and- It's not 100% clear that he's an eagle fang, but he is training with Johnny, because he was training with Johnny before he switched to Cobra Kai. Oh, that's true. Or before he switched to Kreese's Cobra Kai. Mm Mm-hmm. The reason he joins Miyagi-Do in the end is because Dimitri brings him back into the fold.
1: That's true. But, so yes, so the Binary Brothers stick together, which means they both go Miyagi-Do, which makes sense. So, speaking of Hawk's journey specifically, yeah, he has a lot going on. And he's been Cobra Kai, he's been Miyagi-Do.
0: He's been everywhere, man. Yeah,
1: he's been everywhere, and he kind of has this crisis of identity, which is exacerbated when Cobra Kai specifically pick him out as a target of opportunity to kind of weaken Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang's chances at the tournament.
0: Hawk had been bullying. He'd been reverting to his Hawk-like ways, it's just that he turned it against new targets. And specifically, young Kenny, who's the youngest new Cobra. That's right. Also, Robbie's weak point. So, Hawk, it's not that he deserved what came to him, but, like, he put himself in a position where he was going to be the one that they attacked. Mm -hmm. And his reaction to that is really telling, because his reaction is not, um, screw these guys, like, the Hawk Braggadocio, it's, oh my god. I did all these bad things and karate just screwed me over and now here I am and I've lost my confidence. Yeah. He's like the cowardly lion losing his courage.
1: Hawk has this amazing turn right at the end with the tournament where after having lost all this and having kind of a crisis of faith like uh Moon comes back to him. Again, great to see Hannah Keppel back for this series. Hawk has never lost his feelings for Moon and then her willingness to kind of rekindle things with him gives him that last kind of push over the edge that he needs to jump up and grab some of his previous hawk-like swagger back but use it in the service of Miyagi-Do which is pretty amazing.
0: Well he gets his hawk-like swagger back but he competes as Eli
1: Moskowitz. That's true. But he still has the hawk tattoo and he gets, he gets the, the sound he, effect. He gets the hawk sound effect when <laughs> we get that reveal.
0: And he talks like hawk when he says, I'm the guy who's going to win this whole fucking thing. Yeah. But his affect is not snotty. Shall I have Snotty beam you down, sir? I don't know about that beaming stuff. The snotty beamed me twice last night. It was wonderful. No. His affect is humble. And I mean, we see him almost revert during the final fight when he's, he's like, this is my chance to get Robbie back. And Daniel says, the real fight is the fight within. Mm-hmm. And Hawk responds to that. It's really neat during that scene to see Hawk relate to Daniel authentically with gratitude and appreciation. Like mm-hmm. when Daniel says, give him all you got. And Hawk bows like we don't get to see that expression on Eli's face. He's found inner peace. That's, he's out of, out of all the
1: characters, Hawk probably needed Miyagi Do more than anyone else this series. He
0: would, well, he needed both. He, he's done what it says on the Miyagi Do ten, and he's and he still kicks ass in the old Johnny Lawrence Eagle Fang way. I really appreciated how they showed friends squaring off.
1: Hawk had to. Fight, Hawk had to fight Miguel. Hawk had to fight Miguel, and both of them at different points expressed the the idea that oh it's going to be tough to have to fight my friend yeah when they said it, it it came from a really sincere place i mean that's the thing about the cobra kai ethos it's not meant to be taken literally as a life lesson of never show mercy the whole idea of no mercy is merely do what you need to do to win that's all no mercy really was ever intended to mean but i think Speaking of internalizing things, the Miyagi-dos and the Eagle Fangs have kind of internalized all the lessons of both, and they're okay, I'm going to fight and try as hard as I can, but I'm still not going to cheat, I'm still, you know, going to respect my friends, I'm still going to use karate for defense.
0: I I think it's a really good message that the show needed to send, because we need to see people having temporary, having moments of, like, conflict, and then conflict- where common humanity is still acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And that's the great mistake that Kreese makes when he says to Johnny, it makes a difference when they talk outside the training room area of the All Valley Amphitheater. Kreese says it matters who wins or loses. And it can impact you for the rest of your life. That's crazy. (laughs) Because it's not just whether you win or lose, it's how you do either one of those things.
1: Well, it's crazy, except when you remember that Kreese's entire life experience will always be colored by Vietnam, which, if anything that media has taught us from every Vietnam narrative is, like, the entire idea of that war was the way that it stripped humanity away from all the participants. We needed that.
0: And now I think it's worth making a note about Dimitri, because, yes, first of all...
1: the D- other half of the Binary Brothers.
0: Dimitri is the reason Hawk comes back. They are delightful in their final episodes of season four Mm -hmm. we see not just dorks hanging out together or like guys going through like processing their anger or whatever but they're like buddies Mm -hmm. hanging out doing their thing and how great to see dimitri fulfill the arc that he started in season two which is thinking he's no good and being so mad about it and not being able to believe a compliment
1: let alone take it It's pretty amazing when you think about Dimitri's evolution as a character to where he was just the wise-ass audience surrogate in season one and then it was so cute to have him kind of dip his toe into Miyagi-Do in season two and then in season three he goes on this whole journey with Hawk to where its former friends are now enemies but they come back together because they realize there was something there the whole time. Yep, And then in season four they kind of play it from the other angle to where it's Hawk who feels like the outsider And it's Dimitri who points out how far he's come in his, in one of his big scenes in the season where he was, yeah, back in season one, I couldn't have given less of a shit about karate, but now actually excited for the All Valley tournament. And I need you there because we're the Binary Brothers. We cannot have a one without a zero. It's
0: especially neat because Hawk is pining for Moon. That looks like it's going to work out for him in the end. But uh, Dimitri has Yasmin.
1: Oh, yeah. We get more beats of Dimitri and Yasmin together. A delightful surprise in season three. They just build on it in season four. They don't attempt to walk it back. They don't attempt to, like, lampshade it. There's no indication that this is stopping anytime soon. And guess what? I'm fine with it. Just keep it going.
0: It's a little weird that she's, I'm going to be gone, and then, oh, I'm back. But it does open up a space, I guess, I mean, maybe Annalisa Cochran, has, I know she's in a lot of stuff, so maybe she was busy. But it also, in the plot worked to give Dimitri and Hawk time alone. But to see Dimitri really come through, be so comfortable in his skin, to be happy with Yasmin, and yet to still have the space to love Hawk. Is just such a neat thing for all those characters. And to see Dimitri think that he's going to get stabbed with those weapons and then become a genius wizard during the weapons portion of the new revamped All Valley. And then to see him square off against Robbie, get a point in, and then when he leaves, be able to take Daniel's compliment about him being good. This is astounding. Like, way to go. Mm-hmm. Johnny D'Acenzo, you're a genius.
1: Also, I guess this is the moment where I just say all these kids kick ass at karate. I think that was a point I made on Rewatch 2, which is just in season one, both in-universe and probably in real life, maybe a couple of these performers knew what they were doing on the mat, or at least were passable at karate. Now we've got everybody in the cast doing karate. I guess this is a great point to point this out. This season is also astounding about giving Every single character in the character pack, something to do. Like, everybody you've ever seen in the show, I'm pretty sure, gets a scene. Maybe, I don't think we see Counselor Blatt, but... But pretty Where much Where do we see Pawn Shop Guy? Oh, well But Pawn Shop Guy had scenes in season three I'm sure he'll be back at least one more time before the end Johnny's always gonna have something to pawn Don't even worry <laughs> about it We're going down the list character by character But we get to see Mrs. LaRusso again We get to see Louie And we get to see Anouche And we We like, get the new LaRusso family member Cousin
0: Vanessa
1: We get to see Cousin Vanessa Played by great, Julia who, Macho. Yeah, exactly We get at least a little check-in with everybody that we're familiar with, right down to houseless Lynn, as you pointed out (laughs) earlier. She doesn't get a line this year, but she definitely gets to be in a scene.
0: I appreciated Um, that she was quiet. Yeah. Having Lynn just be there and not having to talk did a lot for that character because she's always been so over the top. I want meth and a burrito. You can spend it on whatever you want. That's how money works. I know that she's not on the show like she was, but we did get to see Aisha. Sam went to see her, and that was a neat thing. It was it, it was so neat to f- have the space for that and to, f- it, to feel utterly natural. Of course Sam wanted to go talk to Aisha. Mm-hmm. She understands, and Sam trusts her, and they have history, and it's great to see that she's doing well. Nicole Brown not being on the show has been really hard to take because Aisha was such a great character and while it made sense in World that her parents would pull her away even though she wasn't fighting in the tournament, to see that she was still using the Johnny ethos in her life to get by was just neat. Even though it wasn't as I might have hoped and in a way much more chill to see this relationship between these two young women
1: sort of continue on new ground. I think the thing is, we check in with all these characters over the course of the season, and they really pick and choose their moments, which characters to bring back and in what capacity, but I feel like the one with Aisha was also very earned, and it came organically out of a place where they needed Sam to reconnect with a character who is very important to her the first couple seasons, and... To have her back for that episode was very useful and very important, and and it was good to see. She gives Sam some good advice. Whether Sam takes that advice, I guess we'll discuss that in our recap. So the understatement worked well. We've got Miguel. We've got Miguel, sorry, Robbie. We got, and we got Kenny. Miguel, and we got Robbie. What do we think about their journey this year?
0: Well, I think that their journey was no longer hating each other for different reasons. Miguel just has bigger fish to fry than to hate Robbie when he's the one who's got Johnny on his side, but Johnny's a mess. Mm -hmm. And he has other issues that he needs to address that have nothing to do with Johnny's drama, except for the fact that Johnny loves him and is going to come try to help him.
1: The show makes the case that the engine of that is partially driven from Johnny's drama to where Miguel kind of loses confidence. Johnny makes a lot of great strides towards becoming more than just a sensei to Miguel and really becoming uh, a proper father figure for him. This season, Johnny is a bit of a mess. He accidentally calls Miguel Robbie while he's drunk. It's a pretty heartbreaking yeah, we haven't, scene. Yeah, we, they we give him the sloppy. drunk Miyagi scene. Yeah, they give him the drunk Miyagi scene. So many callbacks. It's It's just remarkable. But to my point about Miguel specifically is his new quest by the end of the season seems to be a search for his biological real father which is both mysterious and sudden And it'll be very interesting to see where they take that plot line in season five. I feel like that's going to be a major driver, at least for the first half of season five. We'll see. It's very
0: interesting to see them retreading some of the same ideas that we got in the Karate Kid part two. Now with Miguel and Johnny, we know that they were shooting for season five in Puerto Rico, the two of them, and also that Tanner was there, presumably as Robbie. Mm -hmm. But Miguel and Johnny in Mexico alone is, is rehashing in a completely inverted way the idea of finding closure with your father by going to your place of origin. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. There. Yeah. So, that's really interesting. My heart ached for Miguel. I think that he showed the greatest growth that in this season that he has, aside from season one. Like, he really came into his own by deciding the only way to win was not to play for Miguel this time. While they definitely showed him and Sam processing their confused feelings for... Tori and Robbie differently, they still had the emotional maturity to, especially Miguel did, to wish Sam the best and to kiss her like they love each other. So he's not angry at anyone in his immediate milieu. He's internalized Miyagido as well. He's trying to solve the battle within. It was gutting because when Mm. he says that he wants Johnny to still be his sensei, and then later when he tells Johnny he loves him to be supportive to Johnny and Johnny calls him Robbie. During the quote-unquote drunk Miyagi scene, we've seen Sholo go through all this other stuff, very kind of old-school man versus nature, man versus Mm -hmm. God, struck down in in the karate fight in the school. But to see Sholo play Miguel as heartbroken by Johnny Mm -hmm. is another level of pain that Mm -hmm. is hard to look at. I'm optimistic because Johnny now sees what he's done and he's gotta go help Miguel!
1: So, what do we think of Robbie this year? Robbie's journey takes him through being full-on Cobra Kai, and then out the other side. I felt a lot about Robbie this year that I had felt about Tori in previous years, where I was just, ah, this is so frustrating, Robbie, snap out of it. But he makes a point several times to Daniel and to Johnny that he's in Cobra Kai for the same reason he's done everything else's, which is for his own purposes. While in Cobra Kai, he makes a connection and becomes a mentor to this young kid, and ultimately winds up making some of the same mistakes Johnny did and just finds himself trapped in the same cycle that he was trying to escape, which, again, was really frustrating and leads to a very heartbreaking scene right at the very end of season four. It's a fascinating journey and it is wild to see Tanner playing the heavy, particularly in the tournament, to where he is serving some looks and making some moves and he is playing full Cobra Kai to beat the band and it is pretty amazing to watch. And then to contrast again with that final scene in the same episode, it's pretty wild.
0: I think that the thing about Robbie is that he starts out basically selling Miyagi Do up the river Mm -hmm. by training Cobra Kai and the Miyagi-Do defense.
1: Which was very chilling to watch those scenes in the Cobra Kai dojo to where Robbie is basically just giving away the farm and being, well, Miyagi does it this way and this is why and this is how he beat it. Before he does that, he gets maybe the coolest
0: fight scene in the whole season, which is him defending against all the Cobra Kais to
1: show them he is better than they are, and they need him. He's got to get in Cobra Kai before he can go full-blown Cobra
0: Kai. But he's got to get into it socially. He's already got crease on his side, but the kids aren't on his side. Robbie gets warnings from Daniel that Terry Silver is not someone to be trusted. And, of course, he's not going to trust Daniel. But when Kenny, who's played by Dallas Dupree Young, arrives on the scene, the brother of Robbie's friend Sean, who's still in Juvie, mm-hmm. and Kenny needs help because he's being
1: bullied by a group that includes young Anthony LaRusso. It's very clever to tie this character to Sean, who we met back in season three, even though Sean only gets one scene this year, it's just to kind of tie him to Kenny so that we can see, oh, okay, so now Robbie's going to reciprocate this relationship, and there's a connection there that we're drawing from.
0: Yeah, well, number one, it shows us that Robbie has a desire for authentic relationships and wants to have that kind of relationships that were lacking in his younger life. But two, it gives Robbie someone to care about. It gives him a weak spot, according Mm -hmm. to the Cobra Kai ethos. And in making himself Kenny's mentor, Robbie winds up living out the same nightmare that Johnny lived through at the end of season one of Cobra Kai, when he saw Miguel turn into a a metaphorical killing machine and hurt Robbie. Mm -hmm. Because Kenny goes from being a sweet kid who just wants to play video games, and uh, he becomes a miniature Terry Silver. Robbie witnesses this and is horrified. It throws him off his game during the match with Hawk. I think Hawk probably still could have won, but Robbie's Cobra Kai focus is shattered. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings him to his knees and has him follow Johnny and basically say he's sorry in so many words. And their scene together is one of the more beautiful things I've seen on Cobra Kai when you consider that a season ago in the finale of season three, in the same location, Robbie told Johnny that he blamed him for everything and that Johnny caused him so much pain. And Johnny, of course, says, don't blame yourself for what happened blame me, and Robbie's sick of blaming Johnny. But both of those characters needed to say the things that they said. I have high hopes for Robbie. I don't know how he's going to get there, but I think he's going to be okay in the end, and I think maybe Robbie never wins a tournament. I think maybe while Johnny is the character who didn't win and it ruined him for years, Robbie's the character who may not need to win because he's gone through all this other stuff.
1: I think that is definitely part of Johnny's journey. Johnny's whole thing that this season particularly makes crystal clear is Johnny is always trying to prove that he's the best, that he was better than Daniel, that he's worthy of being himself. I think that once Johnny lets that go, he'll be able to advance as a a character. But, and again, that'll probably be the very last stages of his journey.
0: Let's talk a little bit more About Kenny, right? We talked about him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Crushing to see a sweet, lovable kid at the beginning of episode two be bullied to the point that he is open to the teachings of Terry Silver. Kenny
1: is, I mean...
0: All he wants to do is play Dungeon Lord, and that's now all I want to do.
1: That's the thing. It's like, in addition to checking in with all this host of characters that we've already introduced or legacy characters from the original Karate Kid movies. We also get a raft of new characters, chief among them, Kenny, who is introduced very adorably in episode two and has gone full Cobra Kai by episode 10 and watching his journey as he gets the confidence of the Cobra Kai and just uses it to be a bully and enter back into this cycle of of abuse is pretty chilling. His whole dynamic with Anthony is a fascinating watch. This season is a very canny move on the show's creators. I think what they may be setting us up for, if I had to guess, I know there's been talked that they have ideas for spin-off shows. I'm thinking maybe the idea is this becomes a generational show and as the older characters Kind of move out to other projects or certainly become ineligible to be in an under 18 karate tournament. We see this raft of this freshman class start to arrive, kind of like a Cobra Kai colon, the new class. I think we might be seeing the seeds of that starting with Anthony and Kenny and their mini teenage love triangle with Leah, the new girl.
0: That's a fun concept. I can't imagine it happening in live action, because I think they're looking for closure. But what I think is, whether we get something or not, for Cobra Kai, we will end on a note believing that what the strides that Johnny Daniel and their new ally Chosen make in beating the bad guys will make the Valley a safe place for people like Kenny and Anthony to coexist. That would be great. Even if they have to use karate as a way to process their emotions, they will be able to exist better in the Valley. That's, oh,
1: I think the one thing this show has made crystal clear is that karate is ingrained in the DNA of the valley at this point. Just like cars and mm-hmm. golf and stuff.
0: So, just a, a note about Anthony. It's so interesting to see Anthony, who, as Johnny called a dick, right? Anthony is never a character that you really like a lot, but he's somehow relatable, mm-hmm. in a way, because as Julia Machio's character who is a therapist in training, says they've neglected this character in so many ways. What did you expect? Finally get the explanation that if you did the math, you could have seen yourself, which is that Anthony really didn't remember. He didn't know Mr. Miyagi. So, he doesn't Mm -hmm. have this attachment that everyone else does. He's acting out on that in certain ways that are bratish and terrible and not worth our sympathy. He's also keenly aware that he's different. One of the reasons he bullies Kenny is because there's an even meaner bully that he's trying to appease. This is fascinating and a good... There's a little
1: tiny Dutch out there somewhere.
0: (laughs) It's a good... Yes, it could be Dutch's son.
1: Son of Dutch. Son of Dutch. (laughs) Wow, that's the spinoff we don't need. Coming this fall to ABC.
0: It's fascinating in the end when Kenny is wailing on, he goes to try to apologize to Kenny because he's seen the light of Miyagi-Do after Daniel finally showed him some Eagle Fang style tough love, ironically, he goes to apologize to Kenny. And Kenny beats him to a pulp when Robbie tries to help Anthony. Anthony doesn't wants to get away from Robbie. He's scared and he's done. So I just want to say we do have a couple of new awesome women characters. One we know from before, Piper,
1: who is Moon's ex. Taking characters who were just like there for one note, for one joke, for one scene, and expanding them out into something more. Johnny tries to recruit her for Eagle Fang, but then she goes Cobra Kai because she was lured away by swag and instagram glamour.
0: Yeah, it's funny how she was all with Johnny's woke vibe because he learned feminism, but then all of a sudden the swag pulled her away, right? That's a certain kind of capitalist feminism yeah. that I don't think that Miguel taught Johnny.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's
1: new characters. We mentioned Leah, hopefully mm. she'll come back cuz she's a neat kid. She is a neat kid. This whole quote-unquote freshman class that they seem to be grooming here clearly has something going on and I expect some pretty good things out of them next year because we are definitely going to see all these characters again
0: the other fantastic new character that they bring in is Devin who Johnny recruits after she gets Devin Lee yes after she argues against the death penalty physically as well as with words at a debate match
1: and we're going to see a lot more of her I think I mean the whole conceit of her character was that Eagle Fang needed women on their team to be competitive in the tournament. And so they introduced her character as a truly Eagle Fang by birth. She definitely has like this chaotic good vibe going to her where she's just I'm going to kick ass, but in the name of justice kind of thing. So that's exciting. What, where should we turn to? Well, let's see. We've still got a few things to talk about. Like the production this year, those Netflix resources are definitely helping the production, because we've got new sets, the lighting looks a little bit poppier, the photography looks great. The way the tournament was shot this year was so good, they really expanded it out. They split it into two episodes, and that last episode is almost 50 minutes long. Yeah. So, like, Episodes 9 and 10 are basically a movie by themselves. One thing I noticed also the way it was shot is that there was a lot more slow motion.
0: In some ways, it was kind of jokey slow motion, like Daniel pumping his fist when Johnny's training him. And it was interesting to see the show kind of play with its optics.
1: They did that a lot in fight scenes, but especially in the tournament, they were doing a multiple shutter speed thing where they could speed up or slow down the shot in the middle of a shot, which is something you can rig the cameras to do. It's not easy, but for scenes that require a lot of action and require a lot of legible action, that's the important thing, because the fight choreography on this show is impeccable, and it really needs to be displayed.
0: I can't believe it could get better from before, but it's...
1: I mean, (laughs) the, the fights in the previous years were all well choreographed but sometimes the way they were shot they felt a little too chaotic for me to fully take in what i was seeing i think this year they took a lot more cues from some older school martial arts movies yeah they did and really showed off the moves as they were being done to really let you appreciate a lot of the movement and the choreography and the choreography was telling you things the character development was evident in the choreography in the final tournament where sam had fully synthesized eagle fang and miyagi-do she does daniel's miyagi-do stance but instead of daniel's open palms she does little eagle claws that's great symbolize that she's kind of taken in the eagle claw as well
0: best musical transition in the whole episode by the way and i have not forgotten the music yeah
1: But yeah, I mean, the the staging, the
0: stunts, the the lighting. The show used angles in ways that that evoked the old show. It's like the way they use the camera when Robbie fights the Cobra Kai's to prove himself. It's just stellar. And it blends with the music and the sound of the fight to create something just over the top. In terms of music, the way that Johnny's major theme plays
1: is so great. Interesting new variations, whereas, oh, now we're hearing Johnny's theme music in a major key because now he's a white hat and he's definitely on the side of the angels and we see the the bass notes from character themes
0: being used to signify other things like the bass note from the love theme sam's theme sound was used also to show miguel catching on to karate with miyagi Do.
1: we've got a whole new bevy of music cues from bierenberg and Robinson and they just took a lot of the themes that they've already built on from the previous three years and just kind of expanded on them even more. During the aforementioned tournament, I heard notes of Duel of the Snakes and other themes that were really distinctive. And that was really neat. These moments where things got mashed up in beautiful
0: ways, I like the fact that they were pretty evident in their use of like Bill and Ted. Co- combinations of orchestra and synth. Like, mm-hmm. that's been computer music, I guess. It's been obvious since the beginning that that's something they had in common with Bill and Ted. They used a song from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And then also just, like, a lot of the licks mm-hmm. when they were making transitions sounded like that. So, it was great. But that said, their uses of the old score were phenomenal. Like, you said, that is Terry's theme, right? From Karate Kid Part 3.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Shout out to... Thomas Ian Griffith, who has a long hand span that he can reach the keys in La Campanelle by list. Like, mm-hmm. that's one of the hardest piano pieces to play. And the use of the extended training sequence music from Karate Kid 3, where they reprise Daniel and Miyagi's training theme from Karate Kid 1. Yes. And they use it for Johnny when he's training with Daniel. Delightful. Goosebumps and just I, uh, choked up, even though it was funny. Like, it's Cobra Kai, you're crying and you're laughing. And of course... The other songs that they blend into the soundtrack are also great. With the awareness that the whole show is an Easter egg, and we're going to be going on an Easter egg hunt with every
1: recap, do you have any Easter eggs that you feel particularly keen on? Well, there's two. There's one we found literally an hour ago where I realized that the hockey jerseys (laughs) in the hockey match that Daniel takes Johnny to are a callback to Freddie Fernandez's shirt in Karate Kid 1. And then, like, on the first view, I was sitting there being God, that's weird colors for a hockey jersey. And then I looked closer at the logo. Is that the... Is that the making bacon pig? <laughs> and so we freeze-framed it so you can see that on our Twitter at Karate Kid Pod. But I think the weirdest Easter egg is the reveal that Daniel gives Miguel that his mom dated Mr. Harris? Yeah. Fr- Mr. Harris from Karate Kid 1, the history teacher that Daniel pulls aside to ask him some dumb question about history so that it gets him in front of an authority figure so that he can escape Cobra Kai.
0: Yeah, that was the first time I heard you like be like, ah, at an Easter egg that wasn't an obvious reference to existing Miyagi-verse stuff. The one that got me was the Weber Industries building. That was a good one because that is a direct shout out to the original name that Daniel Larusso's character
1: had when he was written by Robert Mark Kamen. Well, that's a deep cut. That's a first draft Karate Kid one deep cut. That yes, it is. Doesn't get much deeper than that. That's, that
0: w- that ex- that that predates making bacon.
1: That that's down to the bedrock of deep cuts. So so. Predictions
0: for Season
1: 5. I think they all go on a cruise. I think it'll be the... I <laughs> think they all find Cobra, space. Cause... It'll be Cobra Kai, our year at sea. Oh, my God. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Just get all the characters on the boat. Nobody can leave. I'm the king
0: of the world on a boat like Leo. If you own the show, then you show not me
1: Oh, my God.
0: At <laughs> this stage that's a terrifying thought. But, yeah, that could be interesting. Predictions for Season 5. We're finally going to get to see Chosen kick ass. We're going to get to see Chaotic Good versus chaotic evil
1: mm-hmm. it's gonna be great it's gonna be outstanding
0: although chosen and terry have parallel journeys they're reformed but chosen is in touch with his good
1: i think whereas terry is not that yeah terry and chosen are gonna make a very interesting parallel in series five particularly yeah. Anth-
0: anthony and anthony we're gonna get
1: to learn so much more about miyagi and and that whole thing yeah. like this is gonna be give us an Opportunity to go back to the source, so to speak, with Miyagi. Maybe, maybe here's my season five prediction. I think finally we're gonna get some of those Miyagi flashbacks we've been jonesing for. Yep. Because if Chosen can tell stories about stuff that happened pre Karate Kid one, then baby, it's all good. It's we're all happening so much.
0: It's all happening. I think just to go back to our young, young cast, I think that Kenny will hopefully have his worldview challenged. I think that Anthony is going to join Miyagi-Do or whatever it is. Anthony learns karate whether he's formally a student or not. I don't know if he's going to do a lot of karate, but he's going to be on, on team. Everybody uses karate to process their
1: stuff and to not die.
0: I think that Sam…
1: What What if, what if Anthony goes undercover at Cobra Kai? That's a terrifying thought. <laughs> he couldn't pull it off. Well, I'm just trying to think about like new dynamics because the obvious answer is Dan is Anthony has to do Miyagi Do right because Daniel probably wouldn't allow him to do anything else. It's you've already
0: well, there's no formal dojo left
1: now. It's just and Anthony's not going to go to Topanga or any of the other fun names that were on the board oh, this that's, year. That, oh yeah, that's my prediction. Topanga Karate finally rises. Topanga supremacy. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: I really want to see Carmen come and do her own more and push back with Amanda. Carmen and
1: Amanda unite. <gasps> You're saying Carmen and Amanda take it on the run? Yeah, baby. Yes. That's right. I have more wishes than other things, but like, we know that
0: we're cruising toward the end game. We wouldn't have heard Carrie Underwood singing The Moment of Truth if the showrunners weren't teeing us up to the end. Whether the end is in season five or in season six, I mean, we knew it could go on a long time, right, because they have a solid game. But I, c- I can feel the momentum. So I I think that if they're able to go through Season 6, I don't think we're going to get an all in Season 5 because it tends to alternate. I mean, not unless this season can alter time, speed up the harvest, or teleport this off this rock, right? I mean, like, that's yeah. the deal. So I think that it, there's going to be something that we haven't been able to imagine. Hell, maybe they'll go to the,
1: the animated series for inspiration. I, Sincerely hope so. I do, too. I think that might be season six, though. Uh, we'll find season out. Season six is where we're on the hunt for that weird temple thing.
0: I think if Hillary Swank isn't already lined up for season five, negotiations are happening to bring her back for a giant final karate
1: fight at the end of the show I, I would love to see hillary get in on the fun i think they may just pull an alley where she's just like here for a couple episodes and then bounces yep just to kind of check in with her but but to my she point and, it's she like, and
0: eli can bond over their love of hawks
1: well my thought was season four leaves us with this very terrifying but uh narratively interesting prospect of Terry finally fulfilling the potential that he had in Karate Kid 3, which is using Cobra Kai and franchising it and taking over the valley economically as well as philosophically. So
0: does Miyagi-Do get a franchise?
1: My thought is Daniel's way of fighting back is franchising Miyagi-Do. And there's only a few people on this planet that even know how to sensei Miyagi-Do and two of them are in the season finale of season four. And the, the third one is out in the ether somewhere. So Man, I just, yeah. I don't even that, know.
0: I, I think that the franchise versus franchise idea has legs, but I'm not sure those are the legs I want
1: to see. I mean, I don't think it'll go well for Daniel, because aside from LaRusso Audio, he does not have a solid history of business ideas <laughs> one could argue the only reason Larusso auto works is because of amanda but that's true <laughs> and the child labor he got from sam well yeah free labor by having kids wash cars all day is pretty helpful
0: i also want to say shout out to the weird carrie underwood thing great to see the karate high council get fun stuff to do and great to see uh sensei dentist ron to see him getting to be the guy who, who brings about all these positive changes, but that was a little weird. But this is an 80s show, like, where's Blondie, like, where's somebody Mm. who's stuck around? So if anyone's listening, wouldn't be sad with a woman singer from the 80s? The Bangles? Tiffany? Oh, yeah, Tiffany,
1: yeah. Tiffany for the win. Terry's doing a ribbon cutting in a mall and Tiffany sings. (laughs) Tiffany would never sing for Terry. Mm, Terry can get anybody he wants to sing anything he wants at any time he wants. It's hard to imagine what his Achilles' heel is, because he says that that Kreis
0: is his weakness, but he must have other weaknesses.
1: I g- cannot wait to find out with you. So, with that, we're going to find out together, because after this, we have the joyous task of now reviewing each one of these episodes as individuals and doing our normal recap and analysis thing. So we will leave you for now. I would remind you that if you want to be part of the conversation or if you want to sound off on any of the points, that we've made during this conversation. You can find us on at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. You can find our Facebook page.
0: Like, subscribe, hang out with us. Let us know how you feel about things. And if you made it to the end of this much longer than we planned reaction episode, we thank you and congratulate you on being as nerdy as we
1: apparently are. So yeah, anything left on the floor, we will discuss it in the recap episodes. So please look forward to that. Because the thing about this season is it's just so dense and so layered. We probably could have spent another couple of hours talking about it. But that's what the recap episodes are for, baby. why I got laryngitis. Everything, we will leave no stone in this zen garden unturned. Envy
0: looks at a garden and doesn't see the rocks, right?
1: True that. Thank you for sticking with us. We will be back with a regular episode with Cobra Kai, Season 4, Episode 1. Let's begin. Let's begin. Until then, I've been Colin Kennedy, And I remain Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse.
0: This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson.
1: Our music is by Cheppo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.